be in Judges chapter 12. Now, the last time in Judges, we were introduced to one of the judges, Jephthah, and his victory over the Ammonites. And tonight, we're going to see the conclusion of Jephthah's life after his victory, starting with verse 1. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? So Jephthah, the judge, frees Israel from the dreaded Ammonites. And what's the, what's the response or what's the gratitude that he gets from his brothers, the Ephraimites? Complaints and threats to burn his house down. Now, how's that for gratitude? <laughs> Here's a guy, Jephthah, a few things. Number one, he does Israel a favor. Uh, he does the job that nobody else wants to do. And number two, this is certainly not someone you want to mess with because Jephthah, he's courageous and he's a victorious military leader. And in addition to that, he's anointed by God and filled with the Spirit to complete this task. So these are three reasons, three interesting aspects about this relationship with Jephthah and the Ephraimites. And these nutty people want to burn his house down. This isn't the first time the Ephraimites have reacted this way, this irrationally. If you remember, if you've been with us at some time in the book of Judges, they did this with Gideon. Same thing. Gideon gets the victory against the Midianites. They come up to him complaining, uh, pretty forceful, as they were with uh, um, Jephthah here. And, you know, Gideon tries to be a little bit of a peacemaker in a sense. But furthermore, from the text, Jephthah did call the Ephraimites for help, and they didn't respond. Now, the question is, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Jephthah, who submitted to God and protected the people? Or are you going to believe the Ephraimites who said, no, you didn't call us, who did nothing but complain and criticize? You know, at times, even we as Christians will be called upon to make a character call like that. You know, certainly uh, in a decision like this, it's a prayerful decision, but sometimes it's going to be, it's going to come down to a character issue. Now, similarly, with the situation with Gideon, the Ephraimites want to participate in the victory. A little bit about the Ephraimites, they were a large tribe, they were a strong tribe, and they had a lot of land, and apparently they were prideful and arrogant. If you go through the commentary, or if you go through a concordance and look up Ephraimites, you kind of see what's going on there, a little bit of their history. A few points I want to make regarding this. Number one, there will always be those that sit on the sidelines but criticize and complain and cause problems. People like the Ephraimites. The question is, why didn't the Ephraimites go out prior to Gideon at first and deal with the Midianites? They could have. They didn't. Why didn't the Ephraimites go out prior to um, Jephthah and deal with the Ammonites? They could have. They didn't. So two times they could have done something for their fellow countrymen, being a big, strong tribe, and they didn't. But both times when the victory was over, all they wanted to do was complain and cause problems. So, kind of our country sort of is filled with Monday morning quarterbacks. You've heard that expression, and these people are the, probably the uh, forefathers of the Monday morning quarterbacks. And again, our, our country is full of them. 
even if you look at the political scene, it's kind of funny that uh, uh, probably Tina Fey did a great impression of, uh, what's her name, it's Governor Sarah Palin, right? And, uh, but the interesting thing is um, Fey had said off the cuff that she goes, we, we have to vote this woman out. I don't like her. So certainly her making fun uh, is, is based on her contempt for her. Certainly there's a monetary issue. But I guarantee if you put Faye, and listen, this girl, she's an actress. She makes a living out of pretending to be other people. I'm sure if you put her in Alaska in the governor's seat, she wouldn't know what to do. But again, our country is filled with those who would criticize, but certainly if they were put in that position, what would they do? They wouldn't know what to do. So the second point is, the first point is they'll sit on the sidelines, criticize. Number two, there'll be those that sit on the sidelines but want to partake of the fruit of the victory. There's another aspect to this issue, right? Some just don't want to partake of anything. They just want to, like, uh, remember the Muppets? Anybody remember the Muppet show? Remember the two old men in the balcony? <laughs> they were always heckling what was going on, right? All they did was complain. Oh, I just thought of that. <laughs> it's not even in my notes. But... The, there's going to be those that sit in on the sidelines also. You like that? <laughs> Still picturing them in your mind. All right, settle down. <laughs> There'll be those that also, again, want to sit on the sidelines and maybe complain, maybe not complain, but certainly, hey, where are the fruits of victory? I I'd like some for myself. The third point here is the Ephraimites' comments, really, if you think about it, were vulgar and disrespectful to God's anointed, right? Um, not only is he a leader, a leader in Israel, but no less he's a brother in the Lord. To imagine saying that to somebody, you know, I'm going to burn your house down with you in it. That's what basically they were saying to him. You know, sometimes we get desensitized to what we read, but this was really vulgar. All right? Brothers in the Lord saying this. Um, you know, though, sometimes you see that among God's people today. Uh, this person claims to be a person of God, and what comes out of their mouth is just vulgar hateful, slanderous. It's, it's not good. Christians like to uh, point fingers at the children of Israel, but sometimes Christians today can be just as bad, right? And we, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So Jephthah's response basically to them is twofold. Number one, you weren't concerned prior about fighting Israel's enemies, and now you're bothering me? And the second point was, Jephthah was saying, my main concern is for Israel and obeying the Lord. It's not to make you guys happy. So kudos to Jephthah. Uh, verse 4. Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim. Because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. The Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, then they would say to him, then say Shibboleth. <laughs> this is funny. And he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. So the prideful Ephraimites eventually get humbled. Proverbs 16:18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Um, I'm not saying here that God wanted brother to kill brother, but in this instance, he certainly didn't stop it. We saw with David, David was anointed. He was going to be the king. Saul was out for his blood. God would not allow David to be killed. Uh, obviously, Jesus was born in a manger, and there were forces against him, and God would not allow him to be killed. 
And there are times that God allowed uh, bloodshed. Um, maybe it's not what God would have preferred, but it, he didn't stop it. And there were times in the scripture when Israelites would go to war against each other and God would say, no, not, no, don't do that. I don't want that. So uh, the Ephraimites uh, denigrate the Gileadites and they call them fugitives. Now, this is a kind of a West Coast, East Coast kind of thing. And I say that tongue in cheek. Uh, you never hear West Coast, California, East Coast, New York. Well, here uh, there was an issue with those who were on the east side of the Jordan and those who were on the west side of the Jordan. Gilead was on the east side. So the Ephraimites are denigrating the Gileadites who are on the east side and basically tell them, tell them, hey, you guys are fugitives anyway. If you go back in your history, you had Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The two and a half tribes settled on the east side of the Jordan while the rest of the children of Israel crossed the Jordan and stayed in the Promised Land. Now, they did ask for permission from Moses. He did consult with God. And as long as they would go and fight the enemies, eventually those two and a half tribes were allowed to go east of the Jordan and settle there. Again, it wasn't God, what God completely preferred, but he did allow it. So uh, the, the Ephraimites are denigrating them. Now the irony is the Ephraimites now become fugitives themselves. right? Sort of the biblical version of what goes around comes around. You guys are fugitives. Now there's a war, and the Ephraimites become the fugitives. Uh, another point is there's some truth here mixed with lies. Um, there is some truth about what happened, about those two and a half tribes settling on the east side, but they, they took it to a different level. Um, it, was, it was certainly tainted there. You kind of see that in the election, too. I mean, the, the election's fresh, uh, fresh in my mind that, you know, when these, when these politicians hurl insults at each other and say, you voted for that, you did this, you know, there's usually more to the story that, you, unfortunately, we as the people who are the taxpayers and elect these people have to look into it because they, they throw things at each other and then you find out that most of what they're saying is true but the way they did it was, was kind of deceptive and it kind of was a lie, you see. So you, you kind of see that going on here. Now, the second point is the pronunciation issue doomed the Ephraimites. Uh, and we'll see later in the New Testament that the, the Galileans also had uh, an accent issue. It's funny, we think that uh, you know people from the South have an accent People from out west have an accent. New Yorkers have an accent, right? And even in those days, they had, depending on where you were, you had accents. As a matter of fact, Peter was a Galilean, and when he denied the Lord, uh, he got busted because they said that the Galileans had a role to their speech, like a, a guttural kind of um, uh, accent. So when, the, when he was accosted and warming his hands by the fire, he kept saying, no, I do not know the man. They said, yeah, you do. Your speech betrays you. So we, we see that even the, the, the um, it's interesting, the Galileans had a, a manner of speech that people say, oh, they're the Galileans, and they also were looked down upon, right? But here, the uh, Ephraimites have a pronunci pronunciation issue. Now, it's an unusual litmus test to determine if the guy's crossing. Now, certainly you're, you're in a war, right? And, you know, this happened in World War II with the Nazis. When they were losing, they couldn't get their uniforms off fast enough to try to put on, you know, local peasant clothes and, and, and all that. So here the Ephraimites are losing, and no doubt they um, maybe did whatever they could to try to disguise themselves and say, hey, we just want to cross over here. So there was a litmus test. Hey, you want to cross? Say Shibboleth. Now, Shibboleth meant a stream or a flood, but they couldn't pronounce it. Say Shibboleth, Sibboleth. No, say Shibboleth, Sibboleth. You're dead. You know what I'm saying? These guys couldn't say Shibboleth. All right. 
The word shibboleth, actually, if you look it up in our dictionary, has become part of our vernacular, if you're well-versed in vocabulary. Uh, if you look it up in a dictionary in English, the word shibboleth means password or a catchword. So a little point of, of interest there. Verse 7. And Jephthah judged Israel six years, then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in one of the cities in Gilead. So Jephthah dies, and then we read now about three lesser-known judges. Um, verse 8. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. So you have Ibzan, who got, he's a guy who's got 30 sons and 30 daughters. Um, it doesn't really say much about him. It seems like his reign was a little bit uneventful. It's nice to reign as a leader in, in peacetime, certainly. Verse 11, after him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel. He judged Israel ten years. And Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Ajalon in the country of Zebulun. Uh, this guy, again, judges Israel ten years and dies, and also his life seems uneventful. Verse 13, the last few verses. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, died and was buried in Parathon and the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. So here's a guy, too. Judges eight years. Life a little bit seems uneventful. Now, you have chapters devoted to Gideon. We saw that. We're going to see, well, you had chapters devoted to Jephthah. We're going to see a few chapters devoted to Samson. Samson is um, really a tragedy as a man of God. Uh, you know, when you look at the, the children's books and you, and you kind of think about Samson, he, he seems like this really glorious, you know, uh, robust character. But really, when we, when we read about Samson, uh, he was... Um, he was a failure in a lot of ways, but we're going to talk about that as we get through that. Now here, you got a few people that if you don't know your Bible or you haven't read the Bible several times, you won't even recognize these people. Hey, what about that guy, Elon? I don't remember him. Where is he? You know what I'm saying? So you got a few of these guys that they're like one-liners their life, one or two liners. What I find interesting is all three of these guys came after Jephthah and enjoyed children, some grandchildren, and apparent peaceful rule. Now, Jephthah, on the other hand, suffered rejection. He suffered strife, war. He was unable to marry off his daughter, and he had no grandchildren. So he couldn't even carry on the family name. What I find interesting is to just think about this, and I like to put myself in the position of, you know, try to interject myself into what's going on. We don't know whether Jephthah complained, but he probably didn't, because uh, I don't want to make something here that isn't. Probably if he really was a complainer and he really was uh, resistant to God about his life, it would have said it in the scripture. Like, um, what's his name there? Jonah. Uh, you remember him? <laughs> he complained and he didn't want to do it and it certainly was in the scripture. But I look at our lives as Christians and sometimes we can get caught up in, and I know it's happened to me, we can get caught up in looking at other people's lives and making comparisons now, can't we? As we go through the scripture, we can look at, Jephthah and compare him with these three guys and say, boy, these three guys kind of had it easy and maybe Jephthah paved the way. But, you know, it, it, is, it is human nature and it is common to look around and wonder about what other people have. So why is it that Arnie is getting blessed more than me 
And how come Dave doesn't have as difficult a ministry as I do? You see what I'm saying? We kind of get caught up in that. But um, if you look at the flip side of the coin, there are times that God feels or he knows that certain uh, people can handle that. And the Bible says that he won't give us any more to handle than we can handle. And probably those who are stronger, maybe he gives them a little bit more a difficult of a life. Maybe those who are really weak, he uh, doesn't give them so much that they break. So um, it's an interesting thing to look at. Uh, it's just something I kind of thought about as I was doing this. So, you know, maybe if you're getting hammered in life, the Lord knows that you're one of his faithful soldiers. So think about what you're going through in life now. Is it difficult? having problems? Does it seem insurmountable? Does it seem like it's never going to end? Maybe God looks at you as one of his faithful, strong soldiers. Maybe it's a compliment. And maybe some of you may say to me, well, please tell him not to compliment me so much. <laughs> right? But who knows? There's a story about, um, it's a fictitious story about three women who, who died and went to be with the Lord. And one woman Jesus sees her and he just runs to her and he throws his arm around her and they're, they're both crying and hugging and embracing each other. And then the second woman, um, Jesus kind of gives, you know, gives her a hug and quick hug and that's it. And the third woman from afar, she kind of winks at Jesus, he winks at her. And the question is, well, how come the first woman got such a great hug and the last woman just got a wink? And Jesus knew. You know, he knew that that woman needed that and the other woman knew as long as Jesus just kind of acknowledged her she was okay with that so it is kind of interesting to look at our lives in that respect and say hey no matter what I'm going through and even if that person has it easier than me why you know how come their marriage is good and their health is good and and they still have a job and my marriage is falling apart and and my health isn't good and you see what I'm saying Um, and again it's just something that we need not to and it's human nature we need less to look around about what other people have and just kind of focus on what the Lord has for us. Let's pray.